Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. My guest today is Congresswoman Veronica Escobar. Congresswoman Escobar represents the 16th Congressional District in Texas, a position she's held since 2019. When elected, she became one of the first two Latinas from Texas to serve in Congress. On July 19th, she and other members of Congress were arrested protesting at the Supreme Court against their evil decision on abortion. are on two congressional races in Texas on the opposite sides of our state. If elected, both state senator Sylvia Garcia from Houston and former El Paso County Judge Verona Escobar could become the state's first Latina to serve in Congress. Today, I ask that we take a moment of silence for the migrants who have died as they have tried to reach the shores of the America that they dream of. The massacre that happened in my community had a really significant impact on me just as much as anyone else in the community. I'm still feeling the impact. It's still, sometimes there are moments when it's hard to talk about. Meanwhile, El Paso Congresswoman Veronica Escobar was arrested along with multiple Democratic lawmakers at an abortion rights protest in Washington, D.C. today. The rally took place less than a month after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Hi, I'm Veronica Escobar, and if I need to get arrested to protect your rights, I will do it. Sorry, not sorry. Congresswoman Escobar, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast, and we have a lot to talk about. But first, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you stand for? Alyssa, thank you so much, not just for having me on the show, not just for using your voice the way that you do, not just for this podcast, but you are such an inspiration to so many women and you are relentless. It's easy to get exhausted. It's easy to feel overwhelmed, but I think you really serve as a role model to a lot of women that it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be frustrated, but you got to keep going. So right off the bat, wanted to say thank you and just how much I admire you and how much of an inspiration you are to so many. 
I feel the same exact way about you. And you have been such a pillar of strength for me in those moments where I feel like I can't do it another day. Just to know that you're there fighting every day for everything that you stand for, which I want you to tell my listeners, it just inspires me to keep going. So thank you. Thanks. Just super quick about me. I am born and raised in El Paso, Texas. I raised my kids in El Paso, Texas. I'm a third generation El Pasoan. I am truly a woman of the border. And I have always been inspired by my community. It is such a loving, wonderful community of goodwill. And that really is at the center of so much that I do. My family, my children are at the center of so much that I do. I was a teacher. I never imagined I would get into politics. I taught English at the university level for about a decade. But I also, I volunteered on weekends and at night for campaigns with activist groups. It was really important to me to be civically engaged and then was convinced to run for office. And I ran for local office, county government. I served for nearly 12 years. And my goal in county government was to transform this very important institution. And we engaged in lots of great reforms, criminal justice reform, healthcare investments, including building the only standalone children's hospital on the U.S.-Mexico border. We did procurement and campaign finance reforms. And I thought that was going to be it for me. I was ready after three, four-year terms to go back to private life. And Trump happened. And my predecessor and my friend, Bethel O'Rourke, decided to run against Ted Cruz. And I felt totally compelled to run for Congress. I felt like we needed a very strong voice in that seat, somebody who was going to fight back against the Trump administration, someone who would stand up to the Trump administration. And I feel like I did, especially on immigration especially on the inhumanity of many of the policies that were used that were rooted in cruelty. But my main motivator, despite Trump and post-Trump, is El Paso and creating a great community. I focused on health care. I focused on a fair economy. And then after the August 3rd shooting in 2019, where 23 innocent souls were slaughtered by a white supremacist, I have been just consumed by wanting to get gun violence prevention legislation across the finish line. I thank you for your work on that. You have been so strong on that. And so it's a long agenda, but really, I feel like my values are my community's values. And those values are that everyone deserves a fair shot, a great life, and equal rights. You mentioned the horrific shooting of 22 people being murdered in 2019. Good afternoon. We interrupt regular programming to bring you breaking news out of Texas, and it is horrific news. ABC News learning at least 18 people have died and dozens injured in that mass shooting at a shopping complex in El Paso. This according to law enforcement officials. This is now one of the top 10 deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. Shoppers at the Cielo Vista Mall and Walmart running for their lives as those gunshots rang out. Officials confirming at least one person is in custody. It's just astounding to me how it doesn't ever feel like gun violence has slowed down. What do we need to do to stop gun violence? We have been marking up gun violence prevention bills in the House, and it is really immoral the way that Republicans 
care more about semi-automatic weapons, high-capacity magazines, all these weapons of brutality, they care more about that than they do about human life. This idea that Republicans are somehow pro-life is such a joke. It is a farce. And so ultimately, what I think, Alyssa, we have to do is elect strong Democratic majorities everywhere. And I know people are frustrated because they feel like, well, you know, we've elected Democratic majorities in Congress. When you elect a big enough majority, like in the House, we get these bills across the finish line, multifaceted bills. But when you don't elect a broad enough, wide enough majority, like in the Senate, a 50-50 Senate is not a workable majority. It just, that's the reality. It is not. We need more Democratic senators. So we need more Democrats in office. That's number one. Number two, we need to make sure that those Democrats are gun violence prevention champions and that they believe that our kids should be able to go to school. They believe people should be able to go to an outdoor concert without fear of losing their lives. And it's not going to be one bill that changes the world for us. And even a number of bills will not immediately eradicate the danger that exists. But my God, they will make a difference and they will move us in the right direction. We just have this sick fascination with guns. And it is it has to be not only a legislative shift in mentality, but also a social shift. We live in a country where guns have more rights than women. It's terrifying. You've been on the front line. You were recently arrested protesting for abortion rights in front of the Supreme Court. Tell us why this is so important to you. What we have been seeing, and it's gun violence prevention and our right to safety. It's our right to health care and abortion. It's our right to vote. It's our right to marry whoever we love. What we are seeing right now, and I've been trying to be really consistent in my public statements, we have been witnessing the Republicans telling us what their dark vision for America is. And it is essentially, I boil it down to this. They want to create a country with a group of second-class citizens where you and I, because we are women, we don't have full civil rights, access to civil rights. We don't have the right to determine our future by determining our body and our reproductive freedom. Where as, a, as parents, we don't have the right to safety and security for our children. Where as voters, especially voters of color, we don't have the right to access at the ballot box. Where if you're gay or where if you're in an interracial marriage, you don't have the right to marry the person you love. We know that's the direction they want to move the country in. And so it is on us, on all of us. This midterm is going to be a real test for American women, for American families, for the LGBTQ community, for everyone who believes that we deserve our hard-earned rights. Yes, we've got to talk about inflation. Yes, we've got to talk about immigration. Yes, there's a million challenges that we face in our nation. But if you're not willing to vote for your civil rights at the ballot box, nothing else is going to matter because you will be a second class citizen.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. I just interviewed Katie Watson, and she had such a great quote, which is, power doesn't go down without a fight. And I think if we look at this whole conservative movement, it really is power going down without a fight. They're trying to do everything they can to keep themselves in power, including stripping away our rights. So what can Congress do to protect to protect all of this, but in particular abortion rights on a national level? Well, we passed two great bills, two pieces of legislation the House of Representatives did. And I have to keep reminding the media because reporters will always say, but Congress hasn't done anything. And I always have to stop them and say, you're wrong. The House of Representatives, our Democratic majority, we have acted. We have acted to protect a woman's right to determine her future, have her reproductive freedom, and her right to abortion, her right to be able to have control over her own body. We've done that because we're Democrats and we have a large enough majority that we are able to do that. In Washington, the House of Representatives has just passed the Women's Health Protection Act. Now that bill is aimed at preserving access to abortion nationwide. The House passed the measure on a nearly party line vote, 218 to 211. But Texas Democrat Henry Coyar voided with Republicans. Uh, the bill now heads to the Senate. The problem is the Senate. The Senate, obviously, because of the filibuster, which is such an anti-democratic relic. It's a relic of the past. It's a relic of oppression. But we need more Democrats in order not just to eradicate the filibuster and get work done in the Senate, but we need more Democrats, period. I mean, it's so frustrating, though. It's so frustrating because, and I get it, the president recently told us that if we want to protect abortion rights, we need to elect two more pro-choice senators. But there are two Democrats in the Senate who are more committed to the ridiculous Senate filibuster than they are to the American people. So I guess the question is, is the Democratic Party leadership in the Senate doing enough to bring those senators to heel? That's a great question. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know Chuck Schumer. I know that he's in consistent negotiations with those two, probably far more today than he was last year. I don't know the extent of those conversations or the kind of relationship that they have. It is incredibly frustrating. It feels like the country's held hostage by two Democrats. But I always try to remind folks do not let Republicans off the hook, especially those of us who are Democrats. We've got to remind the country, look, the big obstacles to getting anything done are the Republicans. And yes, we absolutely were frustrated with two Democrats in the Senate, but the Republicans are always united, always. And unless we unelect them, unless we fire them, unless we replace them with Democrats, 
then these razor thin margins will always be held hostage by someone who loves all the attention and power that comes with the leverage of being a badly needed vote. In the House, as diverse as we are, and we don't always have unity, but there are enough Democrats to be able to play with stuff so that we can actually move legislation. The Senate needs more breathing room, and that means more Democrats. And I know it's frustrating for Democratic voters, but when you look at what we have accomplished in totality in a very short period of time, yes, the challenges remain, but we've done some pretty amazing shit. We kept people in their homes during COVID. We kept small businesses afloat during COVID. We put money in people's pockets. We demonstrated that we can solve childhood poverty. We've demonstrated what we can do. There's a lot more we can, should, and need to do, but we need voters to help us. It's just got to be so frustrating for you to wake up every morning and to be able to pass legislation in the House on these important issues that just die in the Senate because of the filibuster. I can't imagine how like, you wake up in the morning and say, okay, I got to go fight this fight again. Right. This has been the most frustrating job I have ever had in my life. And I feel like there's this loud clock ticking on climate, on the economy, on poverty, on our democracy, on women's rights. You name it. Like I can hear the clock in my head and we're not moving fast enough. We're not making enough progress. And I try to use that anxiety to fuel my my work at home to register voters, to raise money, to get our message out, but we got to do it. And that's why at the very top of our conversation, I told you how grateful I am for your work because we need all of us who are in this fight. We need to nurture each other and pull each other up and be cheerleaders for one another. And protect each other. And protect each other. Absolutely. The ultimate protection for me is voting. That's how we protect each other. I want to talk about Texas specifically for a minute, because from an outside looking in, it's horrific. The governor, the attorney general, the lieutenant governor and the legislature of Texas seems to just be hell bent on creating the most extreme laws on nearly all important social issues. you got guns, abortion, voting rights, education and more, but they can't seem to keep the lights on. What is going on down there? I know. And I will tell you this. If Texans don't vote out Greg Abbott and some members of this legislature, the Republicans who are absolutely not just extremists, but incompetent, if Texans don't get up and vote them out, you know, that old saying, we deserve the government we elect. This morning, growing outrage over Governor Greg Abbott's stunning response to a question about why Texas's new abortion law lacks an exception for rape or incest. The Republican governor's answer, his state will eliminate the crime of rape altogether. Texas will work tirelessly to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the streets. So goal number one in the state of Texas is to eliminate rape so that no woman, no person will be a victim of rape. The reality, Abbott has not required the legislature to take up any rape prevention legislation. 
This is an old saying in Texas, and this goes back years and years. Texas is not a red state. It's a non-voting state. And so we have to energize our voters and it takes a lot of work. You know, people feel uninspired many times because they think, what good does my vote matter? And oh, things here are just terrible anyway. But we can change things. And I will tell you, we have been moving in the right direction in Texas in terms of shrinking the gap that exists between Republican and Democratic candidates. And it started actually several years ago when Hillary Clinton really closed the gap at the presidential level. From double digits, she shrank the lead that the Republican nominee, of course, at that point, it was Donald Trump, but she shrank the lead to single digits for the first time in a long time. I think it was like nine points. And we've seen that continue to shrink over time. So we're moving in the right direction. It's not happening quickly enough for many of us. But to all of those Texans who are frustrated, my response is, okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's not enough anymore just to get up out of your chair and go cast a vote. You need to be responsible for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your coworkers, to confront them with, have you voted? Early voting starts on such and such a day. Here are the voting locations. Do you need a ride? We have to be very active in changing things in our state. And it means more than just voting. And it's intoxicating. I've told people it's fun. It's rewarding to see that difference that you make. When you get somebody to the polls, you convince somebody to vote who wasn't going to. It's, yes, I got that vote. I captured that vote for good, for our values. And we've got to use that energy to continue to inspire ourselves because change, it's on the horizon. Change is on the horizon. It's not coming to us. We've got to pull ourselves in that direction. As you said, we saw it shrink. And then my fear is that once we start to take more control or states become more purple, state government then tries to work really hard to make it harder for people to vote and to make it easier for Republicans to get elected. How do we beat that? Oh, that is really tough because really the key was making sure that Democrats had power in a redistricting year. But we did not. Republicans had power in this last legislative session, the redistricting year. So, of course, they gerrymandered districts in their favor. So that's tough. And that's a decade-long consequence. The fact that we couldn't get enough Democrats to vote. These people who don't get out of their chair to vote, they have an impact. And that impact is long-lasting. And there are significant consequences. And we're now facing the consequences of gerrymandering in Texas for the next 10 years. So that is going to be tough. But if we can win the governor's mansion, if we can win the lieutenant governor's seat, if we can win the AG, if we can finally get rid of the corrupt indicted AG, if we can get rid of the incompetent extremist Greg Abbott, et cetera, et cetera, down the line, those are statewide, very important, very critical seats. We could expand Medicaid. We could have common sense gun violence prevention legislation. We could be a forward thinking state that takes care of people instead of oppresses people, instead of literally kills people because we can't keep the lights on. So it's within our grasp. It's within our power. We have great candidates. That's half the battle, having great candidates. We do. We have evil incumbents. That's the other half of the battle. We have evil incumbents. Now people 
get out of your chair and do the work. So, yeah, with the midterm elections coming up in November, pundits are predicting a change in control of the House. What are your thoughts on that? Do you believe we can keep our control of the House? I absolutely do. And I'm a realist. I'm a I'm very much an optimist. I love to keep hope alive. And I think that's important and to be optimistic. But I'm also a realist. It will be tough. The odds are stacked against us. However. There is something happening right now with the Republicans being so drunk with power and absolutely intoxicated by the extremism that they've been showing all their cards, whether it is abortion, whether it is guns. And my hope is that women in this country will say, I'm an independent or whatever. I have voted for both parties, whatever, but I need to save my family. And I'm going to save my family and I'm going to save myself. And there's only one party in this country that's willing to stand with me. Even if we don't agree on everything, that they will at least vote for self-preservation of themselves and protection for their children. Now to the continued reaction from the major story this week out of Kansas, where voters turned out in high numbers to protect abortion rights in that conservative state. In what was the country's first test of the issue since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade? Now Democrats and supporters of abortion rights are looking ahead to how that result can be repeated in upcoming elections. That's not going to happen on its own. We have to speak to voters in our districts in a way that resonates with them. And we've got amazing incumbents. Think about great women who know their district inside and out, like Susan Wilde who's in not just, it's not a toss-up in Pennsylvania, it's a Trump district, but she's amazing. And her constituents love her. They love her because she works so damn hard and she talks to her constituents using their language, their values, their shared vision for their community. There are also some amazing new candidates. I'm thinking of Michelle Vallejo in Texas 15. That's a tough district. And Michelle is a progressive, but she's a practical progressive, someone who doesn't believe the perfect is the enemy of the good. She doesn't believe in purity tests. She believes in working for the people. And I've heard the way she talks to her district and people love her. So I feel very hopeful about her. It's going to be a lot of work, a lot of money, but I feel hopeful. I'm so glad you do because (laughs) I'm terrified. And let me tell you why. It feels, it is not even a matter of it feels like the Republicans seem to be intent on just making bad faith arguments to gain power. They support the big lie. They tell lies that the Democrats are trying to take their guns. They lie about critical race theory. They lie about voting rights, about the border and immigration, about COVID. Why I get so fearful and worried and anxious is I cannot grasp how we can compete with integrity against a party that seems to have no moral center when it comes to campaigning. 
I know, Alyssa, I feel that same terror. Okay. And I feel fear and, and my stomach hurts when I think about November. And I thank you for that fear that you feel and that anxiety and that terror because you recognize what's at stake. And so for all of the listeners out there who are feeling the same thing, that's a good sign. That's your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit telling you there's danger ahead and there is danger ahead. And so it's like the fight or flight. We got to fight. I just try to use that energy when I'm knocking on doors, for example, and I feel anxious about something. I see polling that is distressing, or I read headlines that are distressing. Boom. I get out and I start knocking on doors and talking to real people. And it's that personal engagement that impacts people's decisions. It can flip a vote. It can make all the difference in the world. And so I try to use anytime I'm feeling that anxiety, I feel like, okay, I got to put that energy into something that's going to make me feel productive. That's how I cope with it. But it also helps me stay optimistic because there are results in that. and There's possibility in that. It's tangible. And I think hope needs to be tangible for you to feel it. So the million dollar question is, do you think that there will be criminal charges for Trump and others involved in the coup attempt? I think there will be criminal charges with Trump's circle. And I don't have any inside info. I just feel like it's, I can't imagine there not being for like Mark Meadows, for example. We've already seen the DOJ go after hundreds of insurrectionists, including, I think it was a gubernatorial candidate. So they are moving. Will there be criminal charges against Trump? There freaking should be. And I really do hope there are because If there are not, I think it sends a terrible signal in this country that certain people are above the law and that an attempted coup that is orchestrated by the most powerful man in the world, that if you can achieve that power, you will be untouchable. That's a horrible message. Just a total violation of every law-abiding, patriotic American. So I sure as well hope that there will be criminal charges against Donald Trump. What do you think is the most important thing voters need to know right now going into November? If they, not only if they don't vote for Democrats in November, and if they don't help get more people to the polls, we have more at risk in this midterm than ever before. The planet is burning Our democracy is fragile. The economic gap is widening. Our rights as women are being stripped from us every day. You may not be able to marry who you love. Your children may not be able to marry who they love. Republicans have told us what they want. Hear them, believe them, vote against them. And how can my listeners support your campaign? They can visit my website, which is my name, veronicaescobar.com, and learn more about the work that we're doing. I'm so proud of that work and would be honored to have anybody's support. And finally, what gives you hope? You do. People like you. When I walk into my office, whether it's my DC office or my district office, 
my amazing staff of young, brilliant, hopeful, incredible people who are making a difference every day. When I talk to my children, my 25-year-old son, Christian, my 23-year-old daughter, Eloisa, oh my God, my heart bursts. They are such great human beings. My family, my husband, my great community, everywhere I look, I see beauty and inspiration. Well, Congresswoman Escobar, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate you so much. El Paso's congresswoman was arrested on the steps of the Supreme Court today. Representative Veronica Escobar's office releasing these photos we're about to show you. She was protesting the court's recent decision to end universal access to abortion. Escobar called called out the court, as well as the Texas state legislature, for passing what she calls an anti-woman agenda. U.S. Capitol Police say they arrested 35 people in total, including 17 members of Congress. Her statement said in part, quote, protesting injustice in our country is as old as our democracy itself. It is a cornerstone of our history, a principle of our nation, and a faithful mechanism for the will of the people to be heard, end quote. Capitol Police say Escobar and the others were arrested for crowding or obstructing. Things look bleak. I mean, they look really bad to so many of us. The Supreme Court has turned against the people. State governments and elected officials across the country are turning against the people running for office on the big lie. A Republican House has promised absolutely ridiculous retaliatory hearings and maybe even impeachment of President Biden because Democrats have done their job and tried to hold people who abuse power accountable. But there is hope. Veronica Escobar is that hope. And so are all of the members of Congress who are really, truly fighting for you. Please, please don't let the news stories predicting a red wave deter you from getting out there to campaign for these incredible candidates. News stories don't predict the future. We need to embarrass these people who are predicting a big loss for Democrats in November. We need to make them write about us and the work we did to overcome all of the obstacles in our way to protect our country. We're running out of time, but it's not too late. Get involved now so you never, ever have to hear the words, Speaker McCarthy. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.